Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like the show, rate, review, subscribe, smash any particular subscribe button that you see, but make sure one of them is ours. And hey, tell somebody you like the show. Steve, you dry today? No. <laughs> no. I have sandbags outside my office door. Oh man. Oh man. Uh, let's I, I was I was uh, I was on the phone with somebody the other day, and uh, and I was looking out the the door. I, my my office is in a converted garage out behind the house, and. The cottage, as they say, the the cottage, as they say, and and water is like coming. It's a little bit lower than it's a little bit downhill, and water is like coming towards the house because it was raining so hard. Then all of a sudden, <laughs> I look down, and water is coming under the door. Oh god! Right, and so well, like I had to like fight this like rear sucks. guard action and keep the water out. It was that bad. sucks. That sucks. Uh, Nate Rao will be our guest today on the show from Axios. Broke the story about. The Titans and the city, Mayor Cooper's office, sort of pivoting their thoughts behind a massive renovation versus a new stadium for the Tennessee Titans. And he will give you all of the details and minutia, what you need to know about how that process is unfolding and uh, exactly all the details that, that fans need to know and some of the bigger forces at play. But first, Lamestream Sports is brought to you by... I don't do this part normally. Jaspers! It is hey, in fact look. brought to you by Jaspers. Home of free parking, home of uh, the great drink specials for Nashville Predators, home and road games, the Smash Burger, home of Deb Paquette's unbelievable menu. Awesome. Hey, look, you hit them all. <laughs> Megan Williams beignets. How about that? Uh, those are good. <laughs> Very good. That's, that's, what, nice... that's worthy of being up there on the top. That's yeah, awesome. That should have that, that been higher on the list, actually, the beignets. Uh, no, go to Jasper's, everybody. The parking is free. Fantastic drink specials if you cannot get into the stadium series game although there are tickets available uh if you cannot get into that game uh or don't want to pay the money for it go to jaspers where you park for free and you can get three dollar beers and ten dollar smash burgers during preds games home and road so go check that out over at jaspers before we get to nate rao and we'll do ratings and recommendations a little bit later on i was very disappointed by the way in you nashville very disappointed in you nashville i'll tell you a little bit more about that a little bit later on with ratings and recommendations However, I've got one Thanks, question. Thanks for the tease, Greeny. There you go. Uh, <laughs> he, he writes his. I don't write mine, okay? There's a difference. Um, <laughs> here's, I have one sort of question for you because I am obsessed with the Phil Mickelson Saudi Arabia story, obsessed with the PGA Tour and this new golf league that apparently Phil accidentally torpedoed in a conversation with an author like back in didn't, November. Didn't torpedo. Dropped a nuclear bomb yeah. on top but, of but so so I have a couple questions for it. First of all, my one comment is what's so ironic about his I guess he's stepping away from the game, maybe he's suspended, maybe it's like Dustin Johnson or Michael Jordan. I don't know. I, I find what I find fascinating is that if he all the things he said back in November that he thought were off the record, which is gonna be my main question to you here in just a second. But I, I just thought that if he came out and officially made a statement and said all the things he said in those comments with the author, that I not only would he have like like he would have earned a fan out of me. I think he would have gained praise from it. And he might've actually made a difference because no one is more important to golf than Phil Mickelson. And he'll tell you about that. So I, I just, <laughs> cause he just said the truth. He just said the quiet part out loud. About the I mean, Go read about it. If you don't know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, although the way he said it though, I don't know. He could not have said he could have, he could not have said, Hey, they killed a, they, they killed a Washington post reporter in a press conference, but the money's too good for, not to not to turn yeah, down that's, that's fair i mean that that's problematic well no i mean you have to be turning down the money <laughs> to, to, to do it i to do the press conference you have to have said no to the money i you're right. right about you're right about that um so let me get your thoughts on the off the record on the record thing because uh, alan uh shipnick i believe is his name uh maybe i'm getting that wrong maybe i'm getting that right um, was supposed to be an authorized biography yes which which he has so my first question is Phil that claims book deal it was, might be off. Yeah, Phil claims it's off the record. The entire conversation was off the record. The author says that he knew he was working on a book about him. He called me and reached out to me to talk to me. He knew full well that it was all on the record. What What are your thoughts on? So, so this is much different. Like, I, like for instance, I'm writing a story. Uh, I'm writing a story about some judicial races for the scene in the Post, and I called. I called up uh, a candidate and just said, "Hey." So I need to talk to you about X. And they said, great. I just made sure, I, you know, I, I need some comments on the record about this. 
great. It's a discreet conversation. You know, this lasted 10 minutes and we were done. And, and when you're, when you're writing a book, it's an intense, long process because you can't, you can't, you, you can't have all the conversations about a life in, in a single setting. And particularly if someone is still living that life. So this is something that came up. Uh, this, this, the, the, the Saudi league, I think Greg Norman is fronting it, be tons of money in it. And what you see in it is you see fault lines around the PGA tour and around players relationship to the tour and, and compensation from all of this. And it's a really interesting topic. So he calls Phil and says, Hey, I want to talk to you about money in the tour and finances and, and, and all this. And, and in the context of Saudi Arabia, I, I think that the, there's sort of two pieces here. One is you're talking a lot with someone. So it's a much, it's a much murkier situation than just simply, Hey, you don't know me. I'm a reporter. I need to know this one thing. Can you tell me this for this very discreet story that I'm writing? Yeah. Phil Everybody. called Phil called him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, they, they had, they have this relationship. I mean, it's it, it, that part of it, it, that part of it is gray. The other, the, the flip side of that is Phil, the guy's writing a, 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 is writing a book about your life. I mean, and about these issues, this quote is incredibly unflattering to you, but the issues are part of your life and part of this thing that he's writing about. Yep. I, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how, you suddenly that part of it is off the record. I think it's off. I think he thinks it should have been off the record because it was unflattering to him. Yes. And I, this I, gets into the problem with authorized biographies and unauthorized biographies and yeah. access and, and all these sorts. Well, of and, and here's the thing you cannot, as much as we all love lefty, you cannot write a book about Phil Mickelson and not write about the controversies. He's just, he's sort of always kind of rolling around in it. <laughs> like, right. and none of it's like, I'm not, again, it's not like murder perhaps as business partners, but like it was, you know, we're talking, you know, insider trading is not a small thing. Like what he did at Shinnecock with hitting the ball that was rolling. Like he's always just got, he's always just something with Phil and you can't write the story of Phil Mickelson and all the greatness and all the stuff we love about him and not also write all the other stuff too. And that's what the author has explained since we can't write about Phil without covering all of this stuff. And this, this, this other little part here is, is a part of it. And Phil has to know that when he reaches out to the guy and says, Hey, let's talk about this. He has to know that that, re- that conversation is on the record, in my opinion. And that's what the author has said pretty clearly. So I just thought yeah. I wanted to get your, your opinion yeah. on that. I don't have a lot of sympathy for, for, for Phil because no. it's not like his stance was misportrayed. No, it's, it's just, it's just that the, that the, right. the, the semantics of that, uh, of that quote, were very unfavorable to him. And so he's mad about it. Let, let me ask you this though, because we've had a lot of people, I guess an author and or a publisher has the right to decide when an excerpt or a clip is released from said book. And I, you know, the old Bob Woodward gets a lot of flack for like, why didn't you release this story six months ago when it could have made a difference? And what's interesting about this is that this excerpt from the book has clearly made a difference. All these pro players are now going to are walking away from this and are going to, and which I would have, I would argue they would have done maybe anyway, but they have all sort of made up with the PGA tour and they're all coming back to the tour. So it's had a huge impact on people's lives. What are your thoughts on holding back important quotes that the public should know, not know for, for the sake of your book versus not like obviously publishers want that to be held back. What, what do you make of that process? I mean, I think it's different because like uh, clearly what I think one of the things you're referencing is a, a lot of the post, a lot of the post Trump books and sort of the new nuggets that came out of that, that you're like, Hey, it would have been really nice to hear about this, you know, when right. this person was in power. I, I think there's a difference. There's a difference between that and a, and a, and a sports biography. And, and I think that it's not always clear like what any what any book author will tell you is that there's a difference between working a beat and there's a, and, and a difference between the kind of the reporting and writing that you have to do for a narrative long form piece like a book. And that a lot of times you have to go back and do re-reporting. You have to do you have to do other things and, and they discover things along the way. It's not always sort of cut and dry. I mean, people were I mean, there was a lynch mob that had formed for for Maggie Haberman here a few weeks ago when her book was. Uh, her book was coming out and there were details in there, I think, 
about some stuff being flushed down a toilet or or I, I forget <laughs> no, I forget no, what that's it, right. forget. No, no, that's right. And official and, U.S. documents flushed official, down a toilet. And the, the the it's not like I got I got news for you. If if Maggie Hamerman knew about that at the time, I guarantee you, as a beat writer, she would have she would have reported that out, and it would okay. have been in the New York Times. The I I think that beat reporters you have to go back and re-report because you're trying to tell a broad narrative in a book in a way that you weren't trying to tell when you just wrote that story at that time. Okay. And you know, new, new stuff comes to light. And and also people are a lot more willing to talk about those things when they're not, when they're not in power. Yeah. Yeah. No, no question about it. Um, and we know who Maggie Haberman talks to. <laughs> so so uh, we know who she's got access to. I just, I just find it interesting that, the sports guy released the information that impacted a bunch of people's lives and all the politics people maybe are not. And I just, you know, I'm not suggesting that one way is right or wrong. I'm just thought it was interesting. That's all. Uh, all right. So ratings and recommendations following this conversation, but everything you possibly need to know about the Titans, the city, the development of East bank, the Titans stadium, what the future looks like for the city of Nashville and all the different facets of this discussion. Nate Rao is here to explain it all. So here's our conversation with the Axios reporter, Nate Rao. Nate, great to see you, man. Welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Hey, good to see you guys as well. And I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me on. So hopefully this conversation is a little bit more positive than the last time we had you on, which was to completely debunk the idea that baseball is coming to Nashville. Hopefully at the end of this conversation, people in Tennessee feel optimistic about the direction of Nissan Stadium or the Titans future home, whatever it may be called. Um, so you broke the news, of course, Axios. Uh, you, you broke it uh, a couple of days ago and last week. And I just, before we get into some of the minutia and some of the details about what people need to know about moving forward in these negotiations, just sort of when did you start to get wind of this? And we know these negotiations have been going on for a long time. Sort of what was the, the, the sort of the origination of this pivot by the mayor's office and the Titans? Yeah. <clears throat> so this was, you're right. They've been, the two sides have been talking about this for literally uh, years, really. The conversation has been going on before Mayor Cooper was mayor that the Titans felt like they needed to, you know, fix up Nissan Stadium. And that's a mixture of like necessary repairs um, and and also like in order to be competitive as a business, what improvements do they need to make to Nissan? And I got wind that a few well, weeks ago... Sorry. And at one point, didn't wasn't the Bradley administration uh, getting ready to to do something with the Titans about this? Yeah, I think that they were pretty far along. I don't think it would have happened before the 2019 election. But I think that if Briley had won, there was a opportunity to get something done sooner rather than later, which is interesting to think about how, how that might have played out differently than how it went down. Um, it had been well reported. I think the Titans uh, have been really, I would say, transparent that this is something that they want to see happen and that they were working to make happen. Of course, there was even legislation passed last year related to, you know, sales tax being rerouted around the new development they'd like to do around the stadium to help pay for the upgrade. So they were far along. And I, what happened uh, in terms of your question about, you know, the reporting a little bit that I can kind of talk about that went into this was I got wind of the, the cost estimates uh, rising and that there was the potential for, hey, maybe we need to talk about a new stadium. Maybe these renovation and, and upgrades have risen so much that it would be more financially feasible to build a whole new facility. Um, I, he I heard about that about three weeks ago. And then through what I would describe as, you know, tough reporting was able to get uh, confirmation from the mayor's office and the Titans. And this, the the cost estimates here have to do a lot with raw materials, right? It, that's a big part of it. But from what the Titans said on the record, it also has to do with having, I use the word engineers loosely, because I don't know if that's the exact right term, but having the engineers go in and look at what needs to be done. They mentioned the electrical, they mentioned uh, the plumbing, 
They mentioned even down to the detail of the windows, the kinds of windows that are on Nissan aren't even made anymore. And also structural, major sort of structural issues that would make building on top of the current uh, building, if not impossible, very expensive. And so, and then you add into that what you just mentioned, which is, you know, all the construction costs in every field are going up dramatically over the last few years. So you think about conceptualizing the framework for a deal in 2019, like you just mentioned, when, when Briley was mayor. And now here we are with, you know, inflation making everything so much more expensive. And I think that's just part of, you know, how you get to where they are right now. You know, it's interesting. If you go back and you look at any sort of big project, like I'm thinking about the Music City Center. I mean, one of the kind of open secrets about the the Music City Center and how they and how they brought it in relatively on budget is that they did it in the middle of a recession when there wasn't the demand for steel and there wasn't the demand for labor that there is now. I mean, if you know, th think about like on your personal level, if you've tried to get somebody to work on your house or work on uh, or, or to build something at all, you know, there, there's even on that smallest level, there's 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 a material and labor cost problem. Now you extrapolate that into a big project like the stadium and, you know, sure, I mean, costs are uh, costs are, are going to be significantly more. But the, but the but the root in all this is the is the Titans lease. What does the lease say? Yeah, I'll try to explain it. I'm not an attorney, so I'm going to sure. put this in layman's terms because in this case, I'm definitely a layman. But it, it basically puts the financial onus for the regular sort of uh, um, maintenance on the sports authority, the city agency that's the landlord. So if the Titans need to, uh, and I'm using this as an example, I think it actually might be an actual example, but don't hold me to that. But if they need to replace, you know, the carpet in the club suites, they pay for the cost up front and then the lease entitles them to be reimbursed for the expenses. But there's also a clause in there that is a little bit more abstract. And that clause says the city must maintain the stadium in a condition commiserate with other stadiums that were newer uh, at the time that Nissan was built. And uh, some of those stadiums have actually been raised and replaced <laughs> since uh, that clause was put in there. I know the ballpark in Arlington is one. The Rangers have a new facility in Texas. I know that the Braves stadium was one, and I believe there might even be one or two others that also have been replaced. So, but then there's others that have been renovated uh, with, I think the gold standard in stadium renovations is the dolphins in Miami. So there's examples of both, but that clause requiring the stadium to be up kept, kept up in a condition similar to these other similar, similarly aged stadiums is what puts the city on the hook for uh, really unknown, you know, how does that play out? Do the Titans <clears throat> sue? I mean, do we end up in court? I'm not saying that they're down that path, but like it puts this sort of unanswerable question on the city and the Titans about what that would look like. And so what the Titans have said throughout this process is we will take the onus away from you. Whatever the finance plan would have been for a renovation or whatever it ends up being for a new stadium, if that's where, where they go, the the city will not be on the hook in the way that they are now under the lease agreement. That's what the Titans are saying they're committed to. So let's can, can we get a sense of what ballpark figures look like? Because we all kind of know what the arithmetic is here. It's can we justify the increase in cost to then acquire certain things that would, you know, recoup all of that cost in, in revenue down the road? So do you have a sense we, we know that a lot of people floated the, the four or five, six hundred million dollar range sort of as the original estimate, roughly speaking, for a renovation. We know new buildings cost anywhere from one point three, one point four to over two billion dollars. Can you give us a sense of where all the, the sort of the, the benchmarks are? Where do we expect the the new renovation cost estimates to be? What do we think their tipping point is for both organizations to say, look, $1.3 billion renovation just ain't worth it. If we can, if we can spend 1.8 and get a new building, do you have a sense of where all those numbers are? The, the number that I think the media is operating off of is the number that mayor Cooper gave in the Tennessean, which was the renovations were going to cost about 600 million. 
And then the Titans went on the record and they didn't have say a dollar figure, but they said their updated estimates, what I would say are really more detailed estimates are about double that. So you're at 1.2 billion approximately for the renovation. And you're right, like the most recent stadiums, I think Vegas is the most recent stadium that would be similar because I have been told by people like in the industry to not even look at the LA stadium as a comparison. That thing is its own. That thing is a spaceship that was landed here from another planet. (laughs) So uh, you're pop quizzing me. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I could maybe look it up, but I think that the Vegas stadium cost about 1.8 billion. Um, That's off the top of my head. And so that's where the debate lies uh, approximately, right? Like give or take a hundred million dollars, but, <laughs> but like, you know, if it's one about 1.2 billion for the renovation, again, based on the number the mayor had given based on the Titans saying it's twice that and a new stadium is let's say between 1.5 and 1.8 billion. And now these are, these are of course, and I don't know if you guys were wanting to talk about this. These are dome stadiums or, or roof stadiums. So uh, if, if that's the route they go, then that's where the debate lies. That's where they have to work out a deal that, um, closes that gap. And the reason why they, they brought up the concept of a dome stadium or, or something, something I'm, I'm thinking about like Lucas oil, uh, in, in Indianapolis, uh, something that is, that is big and contained ha- has a roof, um, is they, the, the thought would be that you could host other events there. So you could get a super bowl, you could get a final four, you could get, and, you know, any, any sort of number of other sort of big uh, events that require you to, to not necessarily be outdoors. Uh, and, and that's, and that's where the price tag kind of really is. Yeah. The Titans have not said anything about a roof. You know, they didn't say anything in their statement. My sense is that, you know, it's premature, honestly, for them to, to consider that. I don't think that there's some sort of secret, rendering and cost estimate for for what a dome stadium would look like but this is not a new discussion that's the funny thing about last week's story like you've had folks saying and like i mentioned in my story the hospitality industry it's wintertime concerts like there aren't very many artists that can tour and headline a football stadium so and there aren't many events like a final four or super bowl so it's not like you're adding three or four mega events a year you're talking about these kinds of things every other year right or a few but these are massive these are on scale with with the kinds of stuff that cities just don't get very often um and we can debate whether that's something that residents of nashville would want or not i mean is there a value for that but there are definitely events that Nashville can't get right now that it could get if a now new stadium is indoors. Well, if you guys would like me to give you some of those estimates, I can. Uh, a Super Bowl is worth roughly $400 million in economic impact for your economy. Again, they, they say the L.A. one could be almost $500 million, but I'm sort of rounding down for L.A., factors there um a final four is worth about 100 million you could do 150 million for a college football playoff game and all three of those are largely unattainable without a retractable roof or a dome so if you just got those three events one time there's your 700 million dollar difference right there in theory right well that's money that's that economic impact is spread out around private businesses as opposed to just the tax dollars but yeah there you're talking about a benefit to the community that would that isn't there right now isn't there from Titans home games, right, Steve? I think that was yeah. That that's that, that's exa- that's exactly right. Uh, and and the you know, even if even if you start to kind of put the concert industry in here, I think Nate's exactly right. There's there's only so many Garth Brooks out there that can that can put fifty thousand plus in a stadium. Uh, and it, it the 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 use the extra use question is is a really interesting part of it because I think if they had like a really detailed plan. Uh, it would be one thing, but they've you, you kind of heard the, like just like the big marquee events thrown out there. We'd get a Super Bowl, uh, although it's not like you would get into the Super Bowl rotation uh, necessarily. Or why, why not? Get, we might get a Final Four. <laughs> yeah, um, you you might get a Final Four. You wouldn't necessarily get into the Final Four rotation. I mean, I, I mean, I think there's, I think there's four cities in this in the Super Bowl rotation in, on, on a realistic basis. There's, there's Miami, there's Tampa, there's, there's New Orleans, and there's LA, and then everybody else is is kind of 
oh, if you build a new stadium or, oh, we'll rotate you, we'll rotate you in here. You know, it's because those cities have, those cities have a big entertainment infrastructure, much bigger than Nashville. Uh, they're, they're, they're warm weather destinations. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you have a, if you have a roof over it for the game. I mean, if you have 50,000 people come into town, they would not, they would like warm weather. <laughs> if they're going to, if they're going to travel in, Fe- in, you know, at the end of January or February, they would, they would like to, you know, not be at risk of an ice storm, uh, which is, you know, which is what you've got in Nashville here. Uh, so Nate, uh, what I want to ask you about is a, a little bit about sort of the, the, the timing on this. When, when we built the stadium here 30 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, uh, Went through a referendum. Bredesen pitched it to the city. There was a referendum process, but it happened kind of off cycle for for metro elections. Uh, the the really interesting thing to me is this is kind of bubbling up, and and then next year is going to be a whole set of municipal elections where you're going to have you'd have an entire council and the mayor on you know. This, you know, it, something with a billion dollar pri- or plus price tag would dominate almost every political discussion that that's there. What do you think about the timing on this? And if it's if it's uh, to your point, this is not necessarily what the mayor wants to be talking about right now. I, I, the, the mayor has garbage problems. The mayor has has other sort of has, has other sort of issues with the city right now. I, I can't imagine that that he would want to spend the next year and a half talking about uh, you know a one point bill you know one point three billion dollar thing to be built downtown. Yeah. You before I answer your question, you said something that I wanted to respond to. Actually, you know, I had about five years of my career where I had transitioned from covering metro government to being the music business reporter at the Tennessean, and in that job, I really got to understand the hospitality industry in Nashville a lot better than I did before. And I've seen some social media chatter just kind of dovetailing off the new, this news about, do we want to be a city known for sports? And I just totally view that as like a false choice, a false question. I mean, the question of whether we want to be a pro sports city has been asked and answered <laughs> the voters got to weigh in. I know it happened a while ago, but it, it passed overwhelmingly. We are a pro sports city and, and, you know, not that rankings like this are definitive. We're one of the b- best pro sports cities in the country. According to ESPN, I think we were number one several years ago. I think that like when you see the environment around the Stanley cup and the NFL draft, like, it's not my thing. Big crowds actually, you know, give me panic attacks because like I'm an introvert and like <laughs> I didn't personally enjoy it. Like I didn't enjoy those things, but it was amazing. It was unprecedented. I've There's never been there's there's very few examples of anything like what our city was like when we had those two events. So we are a great pro sports city and none of that overshadows our brand, which is music. It's not an either or. I just think that's a goofy like choice to have to make i know we're doing like follow-ups inside of follow-ups inside of follow-ups here but <laughs> I, I want you to get to steve's question but yeah i think the question for me because i was one of the people on social media asking like what do we want to be as a sports town and to me it's more about size like we can mm-hmm. still be a charming sort of n- non-traditional counterculture hockey town and soccer <clears> town <throat> and now football's gaining momentum over the last few years but it, it to me it's about like the Super Bowl is a different animal. Like yeah. the draft is one thing, the hockey Stanley Cup is another thing. But it does feel like if they put a, a dome and a roof and try to go for the big events, that they are trying to take another step. If that if that makes sense, is that unfair? Yeah. No, I think that's fair. But I just don't feel like any investment in pro sports comes at the expense of the music brand, which is continuing to grow and thrive, and it's the number one reason people come here. All right, now why would you not want to talk about spending two billion dollars during an election year? It's the election year is one thing, but the timing of it coming out last week couldn't have been any worse. I mean, the idea that uh, I I think that the the two sides ended up confirming this to me because it's true. I mean, they were being transparent. They did not want 
news of the possibility of spending one and a half billion dollars to hit and the same week that none of us got our trash picked up on time yet again my trash was two days late i saw cavendishes was even three or more or does yours get missed altogether mine was two weeks late yeah see two weeks this is a you know this is a real problem like that like you know that's a real issue for that the city government has to address we're recording this on a Thursday. The, the mayor has a two thirty press conference and uh, announced this afternoon with a bunch of people uh, to talk about the, the contract for, for for garbage. And 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 this is a big this is a big problem. I, I wrote about this in the scene that you know if there are certain things a mayor can and can't do, but basic services it doesn't matter if it's your contractor or whatever else you're the one that gets blamed for it yep. and if you don't get the garbage right you know you're not going to have a second term it's not going it, to it's not, it's not going to matter because people will you know people will riot over this kind of stuff yeah the way i put it is i had neighbors who didn't know who their council member were probably didn't know who the name of the mayor is i'm sorry to say like googling who's the mayor <laughs> because they're mad about the trash. <laughs> and so I, I, I would anticipate them offering a solution to that today, by the way. Well, I mean, we'll see yeah. how that plays out, but yeah. uh, I think that there will be pressure to get this done strategically before the 2023 ele- elections. I think that they will want the, it's just the, the idea of transitioning to a new mayor and bringing them up to speed on this situation and getting them on board. Nonetheless, if it's political football, so to speak, and the person opposes it uh would be just a a potential setback they would want to avoid they also have you know i think a district council member who who those but that person plays an important role in this process and brett Brett withers who i think is very open-minded about this about a new stadium or renovation and by the way just like i don't know i hope I i assume a lot of your readers are nashville folks this isn't just a stadium i mean you're talking about a brand new like boulevard type road running north and south from the stadium to where the new river north development will be and you're talking about a massive i would say unprecedented redevelopment where we have vacant lots and weird uh like abandoned buildings <laughs> and uh, you're talking about turning that into housing and condos and our hotels and retail space and restaurant space and office space so you're talking about like a massive conceptual when that planning process has been in the works for for also over a year i want to say year and a half or maybe two years so uh this is uh one part a big part of like a massive plan to, to transform the east bank of the river Lamestream Sports is brought to you by... Brought to you by Jaspers. Steve, would you ever tell a lie to the good folks listening to Lamestream Sports? I would not. You don't strike me as someone who would. I would not. And I resent that you even asked me that question. <laughs> I've offended I've offended your delicate sensibility. Uh, sir! <laughs> oh, man. Um, go to Jaspers. Obviously, it's a huge week for the Nashville Predators. We've got the Stadium Series game coming up on Saturday night. And if you can't go or don't want to go sit in the rain and cold, it is a great time yeah. to be a Predators fan at Jasper's. Yes. So here's what you could do. You could pay for parking, pay hundreds of dollars for tickets. You could go sit in the stadium outside in the rain, maybe some wind, maybe a little cold, and you could watch the Preds game. Or you could park for free, walk inside a nice, cozy, toasty, welcoming bar, sit down, have a $3 domestic draft beer, a $10 smash burger, maybe a second or third domestic beer, Uber your way home, and you still wouldn't even get to the cost of parking. Fantastic. So go to Jasper's. Let's go now. (laughs) Actually, I'm down. (laughs) Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. Uh, Obviously, there's some new menu items as well. So make sure you check out the new menu items. Deb Paquette and her team obviously do a great job uh, sort of evolving the menu per se. Uh, as they say, Steve, uh, when it comes to Jasper. So go go check out the new menu items. Great Preds, happy hour drinks, um, home and road games. We've mentioned it a million times. The burgers are great. The salads are great. The entrees are great. The, the flatbreads, the sh- Oh, man. I've been all over the flatbreads the last couple times I've gone. Fantastic. Fantastic. So go check that stuff out. Go to Jasper's, everybody. It's a great place to go watch the Preds. Go to Jasper's. I want to get into more of some of those details, uh, but could it, in theory, part of the reason you want to get it done and part of the reason that it could, I don't don't know if I'm going to spin this for the mayor here and say it could be positive, but like, 
if you can convince the Titans or if the Titans are willing to foot more of the bill, doesn't that help in this entire process? And how likely do we think that is a possibility here? See, seeing what happened with Nashville SC. I think it's a very big possibility that part of the way that a new stadium deal comes together is if the Titans ownership puts more cash up to make it happen, puts more skin in the game to make it happen. And, you know, I've seen also the mayor criticized for like even entertaining this because of the way he campaigned, seemingly not wanting to invest heavily in tourism and, and uh, entertainment focused projects. But when you're the mayor, you don't get to choose what issues come down the pike. Like he doesn't get to wave a magic wand and, and tell stakeholders in the city, which the Titans are a stakeholder. No, you don't get to bring that up. He, any mayor has to deal with, with the, with the issues that are brought to them. Uh, I feel like the mayor's office is passive in some ways and whether not, I'm not saying this about Cooper, but any mayor is passive and whether a sports franchise wants to talk about a new stadium, it's up to them how they handle it. I think the, challenge for Cooper is what he campaigned on to me was being the better deal mayor, right? Not the no deal mayor, but the better deal mayor. So I totally agree with you. I think it will be, you know, incumbent on him politically to get the best deal possible. It kind of got swept under the rug. He got elected after the soccer stadium deal. We've all forgotten about it because of pandemic hit and everything, but he got elected after the soccer stadium deal was in place. He opposed it. But he got into office and he renegotiated a deal that uh, was more advantageous for taxpayers. That literally happened in the weeks right before the pandemic hit and the tornado of last of spring of 2020. So he has a track record of trying to make these things better deals. I'm not have there's no judgment about I'm not giving any opinion about whether. You know, some people don't think that, that cities should be in the stadium business at all for any reason. That's a that's a massive use misuse of taxpayer dollars. But he has a track record of trying to make these things the best deal possible for for Metro. Nate, your opinion on what we should have done with those ten acres, please. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's there, there's been a, a bunch of people trying to sort of work work out kind of how this might play out politically. There was a really thoughtful post by Bob Mendez, which you linked uh, in, in one of your access pieces here, where he where he went through a bunch of different scenarios. And he said, he said, basically, he said, there's kind of five scenarios. He said, he said, you could just execute the, the, the current lease. And there's no there's no redevelopment on the East Bank. Uh, of, of the Cumberland. You could perform the current lease and invest infrastructure money in other places, but still not do development. The third is you could do the do the current lease and do the East Bank. The fourth is you renovate the stadium in the East Bank. And the fifth is that you build a you build a brand new stadium and you do the East Bank. Of all of these, that East Bank development is is really interesting because we see the state, if you go downtown and you go down lower broad and you see the stadium kind of right across there, but it is on an Island. I mean, there, there's nothing, there's nothing around there. And East bank development uh, would, would put a lot of retail would put maybe housing, maybe put other things in there and around that stadium. What does the dynamics of that mean in, in, in all of this and who is, is in favor of an East bank development? Well, I, I think there has been a push to, address we we have one of the most underutilized downtown riverfronts of any city i've ever seen i mean we not to this none of this is to mention because it doesn't include the scrap metal plant that's there this is like a broader question than just the titans i mean i'm not an expert on like uh landscape design but i've always thought it was weird how far off the river the stadium is located it seems to me like there's a lot better ways to activate the east bank of the river nonetheless the west bank the downtown side of the river uh so there's been momentum behind uh redevelopment or or even just what is the best use of the riverfront for years right i mean that like that's not new i mean how it's many how many different mayors have tried to get PCS metal or P PSC metals out of that spot. Every mayor I've covered, you know, there's that, there's that bluff right where Pinewood social and, and the, um, the redeveloped uh, Charlie Barnes are right up there. And if you walk out on that bluff and it's beautiful, and then all of a sudden you'll hear like the giant crash of scrap metal being, being, being dropped into a bin or dropped onto a barge. It's the, yeah. it's the craziest thing in the world. 
Yeah. By the way, we need scrap metal recycling. That's I, that's not a bad thing sure. for cities to have. It's just a bizarre location for it. So I think that the redevelopment, it, it's not just this, if this gets in front of voters, per se, whether it's, you know, figuratively in front of voters for wh- when they're choosing the next mayor or maybe even like a referendum. It, the question isn't just going to be, do you want the stadium fixed up? I think the question is going to be, do you want to fix up a river? a riverfront that has a lot of nothing over there right now. Are we, as are we maximizing that? So, and then look, there's other major political questions. We did a story following up, uh, you know, there will be challenges to get this done in a way that helps the community when we're going to sink hundreds of millions of dollars, whether that's infrastructure costs, uh, tax incentives, whatever the deal ends up looking like, then then there are politicians in the city who believe there should be community benefits such as housing and green green space and park space included in that. So that'll be for the Titans and the mayor t- to figure out how they can make that work. I don't know the answer to your question, though, Steve, what the support is. My sense is that the Titans are at an all time high in their community popularity and 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 a lot of that is the work amy adams has done personally to rebuild the brand in the community and i think she you know you want to you're already probably the most popular human in the city if you uh if you decided to throw in 700 million of your own dollars to get something done you can can you imagine how popular she'd be after that here's my question for both of you and this is sort of just opinion because all three of us have been in this city for a long time to me it's about market forces here and certainly opinions, as you just alluded to, how these things happen, how they get paid for. There's lots of opinions. There's lots of positives and negatives on how that can happen. But just from a market force development standpoint, do any of us actually think that that land is going to sit there the way it is for much longer? Like just in watching the way the city is developing, like it just doesn't seem like you can stop that type of market force. Is that, does that make sense for either of you guys? I mean, that would th- that land is the great connection between downtown and between downtown and East Nashville. It, it, it's always sort of odd that you have to, that you, you'll come to the edge of East Nashville, whether you're coming up Maine or you're coming up Shelby, and then you have the interstate and then you have this, this big patch of land without anything on it, unless you're, unless you're going to a ball game. And, and that's, yeah, you're right. That that's, that's, that is, it is the last big sort of undeveloped sort of piece of it. My, my, my only wonder in all of this is I, I like to play this game occasionally, you know, what would councilman Cooper, how would councilman Cooper respond to mayor Cooper's dilemmas here? Because, it, because they're different things. And I think Nate, Nate alluded to this is that, is that you have a, a different responsibility as a mayor than you do when you're one of 40. Uh, and, and that's why I like the, the, the Mendez thing I thought was really thoughtful uh, kind of, kind of looking at how you, you that there, there are a hundred different ways to sort of slice this up, and you know, in ways that are are more or less cost beneficial to the city, more or less benefit to downtown, more or less kind of community benefit along the way. the The interesting thing to me is that there's there's a there's a certain there's a certain pressure, and whether it's cultural pressure or political pressure, in the city. From longtime residents about downtown, I think you're going to find you're going to find, you're going to be able to put like a numerical percentage on it by the end of this debate, <laughs> because what's going to happen is anybody that opposes this, one of the chief weapons they're going to have is resentment towards all of the spending being downtown, yeah. and and you know how that plays out, I have no idea. Really smart people will tell you that a, a lot of what the city has has happened in terms of growth, in terms of development, in terms of whatever else has, has flowed from investment in downtown and, and, and that the dollars spent downtown are, are, are worth more than dollars that would, you would spend in Bellevue or dollars that you would spend you know, in Hermitage. But if you live in Bellevue or Hermitage, at some point you get tired of hearing that. <laughs> and so I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a fascinating sort of political football here on how how the messaging, how the messaging works, how, and, and really what, where we are as a city in terms of our downtown focus on all things development and politics. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's a big question to be answered. I just think the Titans are in a little bit of a different category than a convention center. Yeah, agreed. I think that they have and they have earned like a goodwill from people. I think, you know, so I think it's harder to demonize them as a you know political opponent 
people like Eddie George and Derrick Henry and they like the football on Sundays and also people in Bellevue go to games. And so, uh, but having said that, you know, it is a real puzzle to put together about how you make it work for the community. And I think things like affordable housing and park space and, you know, transportation connection help answer that. But, you know, like, like the, that's where we get back to what, you know, the average person thinks about this and what some council members have said, it's like, pick up the trash first. <laughs> well, and there's a couple of different um, sort of messaging factors here. One thing to consider about this is like what you said, Nate, is that I'd be willing to bet you the vast majority of people that use the Titans stadium and that are diehard Titans fans are outside of a, I don't know what, six, seven, eight, 10 mile radius of downtown. They probably live in these concentric circles outside it's Murfreesboro, it's Spring Hill, it's, you know, Gallatin, it's Donaldson. It's, it, you know, that's why I would argue a lot of the Titans fans are. So they don't care about a convention center where they, they care deeply about football. The other thing is, is I can go to Donaldson people. And if I message it correctly, can I just say, yeah, your house is worth four fifty now instead of 300. And that's because our city has grown. Isn't it can't, can't that be how you message it to the, those folks? Well, but the flip, degree? I'm but, not saying but it's the, true, by the way. I'm saying that's how you message it. But that is a double-edged sword because there, but because for every person who already owns a home in Donaldson, there are five people who are looking to either to either buy their home, buy their first home, upgrade from their first home, or whatever else. We're feeling locked out of the market right now because you know the median home price here has jumped a hundred thousand dollars in the last year. I mean, it's the it, it's a it's a the growth piece of it is a tricky thing if everybody doesn't feel like they have buy-in to that growth. And that's, and that's a political dynamic that has played out in every, in every single sort of city referendum here over the last, over the last few years, you saw there was an undercurrent of this kind of within the, within the transit referendum where, and I thought it was, I thought it was disingenuous. I thought it was bad faith. I also thought that it was brilliant messaging by the anti-transit folks who said, who went into parts of North Nashville and and basically said, if the train comes here, you're going to be priced out of your home in in X number of years, and that's the, those fears are those fears are very palpable right now. If you have anybody who is either either trying to buy a house or you know supply and demand works on the rental side as well, the the rental market right now is is just as insane as as the as as the buyer's market and so that it, it is a tough tough message to, to 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 try to handle even though you'd been priced out of your house anyway that, that there goes the disingenuous and the brilliance of the the messaging there by the transit yeah. folks um I, but it's not just house prices though right is it not just the way you like again i'll go to lebanon pike out by briley parkway like that whole strip has all of a sudden there's breweries and coffee shops and, you know, chicken shops and restaurants. And like, there's all kinds of stuff that, that, that helps to sort of elevate the community across the board. It's not just house prices. I, maybe I shouldn't have used that example, but I, I, I don't know. Like I just, I just see Nashville growing and I see the different corridors and I see Charlotte Pike developing in North Nashville and I see the way it's going. And I just don't know how you don't, I don't know how you stop it from being developed. So I don't know what the argument is against that. I think the argument is, how they do it right like isn't that the biggest concern here nate yeah the people are going to want to know how it's going to be paid for they don't they won't want to see it they don't want to deal that's a choice between sidewalks or bike lanes or investments in mass transit or a sports stadium and they have to make that clear because people don't even frankly some sophisticated people don't understand that and i don't blame them it is confusing it's not, a, I don't think it is a choice, but the, that's where the messaging is, is difficult. And there is a mood in the city like that. One of the reasons I think why we all agreed that the baseball effort was a long shot was I think there was a, there is a political mood in the city to like get right what government should be doing. And we like, we're talking about trash, but it's also schools and mass transit. And I know flooding has been an issue. So stormwater, those sort of basic services. And so they have to overcome that for sure. Another uh, factor at play here that I just want to point out just a little bit of inside baseball is uh, the Titans leadership. Like you mentioned, Amy Adams strong. I would also say that like the top Titans executives, Burke Nihill and Gil Beverly have done a really great job and others have done a really great job of uh, making inroads in the community and improving connections with 
you know, political connections, but community groups and things like that. So I think they're becoming, you know, faces that people know. And um, I think that's a meaningful factor, like when they're the ones that will be making the sales pitch in the next year or so. Um, But I don't know, for me, like, I'm really just focused on what does the financing look like? I almost think any stories prior to that are, are, are a little frivolous because it's all hypothetical. We don't, we don't know what they're going to propose or how it'll be paid for. Well, and I guess what I would ask is there's a, there's a mechanical piece of this as well, too. Whenever a proposal comes forward, you know, it, with the soccer stadium, it was a it was a council proposal and council approval. The last time they built a stadium, it was a referendum. It, do you have any and do you have any sense of how that of how that they would they would go about trying to get this approved? Well, I'm going to answer this in my layman's terms again. <laughs> there are financing mechanisms that would create the potential for a referendum. There are ways that they could propose funding it with revenue type bonds. I think I'm correct about that. That would give the opportunity for opponents to pursue a referendum like the transit referendum. And uh, the Titans and the supporters could embrace that and say, bring it on. And they could run a campaign and tout the benefits. I I think that's how it went down with Bredesen's team in the nineties. And uh, they obviously won overwhelmingly, Uh, but there's also ways to finance it where a referendum wouldn't necessarily come into play. And so I, that is another one to be answered, I guess. All right. So what do people need to know? What's the last thing here? Last word. What's the thing that uh, outside of uh, making sure they're reading Axios and following you on Twitter, what's the thing that people need to be, to be aware of the question we're not asking. I think that the, uh, uh, we might get a little bit more of an answer when more details about the results of the planning process come out here soon. That might be the next like mini development in this. The biggest thing is just the Titans uh, deciding and I think releasing to the public in, in a transparent way, which I'm sure they will, what, what they'd like to see, what they think is the best option and how they're going to pay, how them and the city will work out a way to way to pay for it. Nate, always a pleasure, man. Love having you on. Keep doing uh, the good work out there. And uh, thank you, Nate. Thanks, guys. That was Nate Rao of Axios. Um, and again, you know, the guy's a great reporter, but he's definitely been on the front lines of stadium news for quite some time. And uh, it's a really cool beat that he's on and um, excellent reporting by him to to get out the details that he got from both sides, frankly. And I don't know what you think, Steve. There's going to be a lot of opinions from sports people about should we or shouldn't we. But it's not really about the sports people, is it? It's about citizens that don't care at all about football versus citizens that do and and what their representatives decide. it's such an there's 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 something that is so interesting about this question from a political standpoint versus 25 years ago which is that we didn't have football we didn't have we didn't have anything we didn't have football and this was a a vote for a, a vote to build a stadium downtown was a vote to bring football here the political dynamics of Voting for a stadium that that you already have the team are different, uh, and you know to the Titans' credit, they haven't they haven't there has not been any saber rattling about well when the lease you know right right, right. when the lease they're, is up they're not you know, threatening to leave to go to St Louis right you know it's a real nice NFL team there it'd be a real shame if you lost it <laughs> uh, I mean that would kill every single ounce of goodwill that they have worked so hard to acquire yeah. over the last five or six years and and to, and to their credit i mean and 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 Nate mentioned this here you know they have they have been on you know, they've been out in the community building goodwill from a, a lot of small things to to very big things and, and that's not unimportant but it's a it is a different political dynamic and if depending upon the timing of this i mean it, it will it will be the only question or the first question that's asked in 40 different council races and a mayor's race next year and that's interesting <laughs> to me, uh, and and it is, and it is it is potential it is potentially problematic for uh, for the Titans because you saw how 
getting people to say yes to something is a lot harder than getting people to say no to something. The transit referendum is the perfect example of that. The messaging on no is significantly easier than the messaging on yes. And so it, it, it's just, it's a very tricky thing. And I will, I will be, I will be fascinated to kind of, to kind of watch how this plays out. I mean, they did not want this to be out right now. I mean, I, there, was, there was some scuttlebutt. And Nate was very nice about about not, not about not saying this. But I mean, people were accused. I mean, people were accusing Nate of being like, "Oh, well, you're just a plant for the for the mayor who's wanting to change the change the topic uh, from from garbage." No, this is a big complex topic that is that is that is not not necessarily cut a hundred percent positively for the mayor's office. And by the way, they weren't ready to talk about this. You know they've got problems that they're dealing with right now in terms of garbage. Yeah, and so I mean it was great reporting by Nate to to break the story. You're right. Like to think that a billion dollar, two billion dollar conversation could overshadow sort of the short term problem that can be fixed. Uh, well before like if if garbage is fixed within the next few weeks, it won't be a story a year from now. Um, well, I mean, I mean, it'll what... it'll go through the cycle and be washed away. Yeah. I mean, if garbage isn't fixed a year from now, I mean, there's going to be about a month. How about a month from now? A month. I mean, there's going to be pitchforks out there. So what I always tell people is a city should be able to do more than one thing at a time. And when this came up around the soccer stadium, people would say people would say, oh, well, we need to do housing and we or we need to do this, whatever else. We can't do this thing right now. A city has to be able to do multiple things at one time. And if they can't, then that is a that is a bigger indictment of yep. city leadership than anything than, than anything else that you could possibly sort of imagine. If yeah. they can only focus on just the thing that's in front of them. Yeah, you're not. And you're, so, not you're not a kindergartner. You can walk and chew yeah. gum. That's fine. And, and a, a city can do a stadium downtown, depending upon how they, they fund, uh, depending on how they finance it, depending on how on all sorts of other factors. They can redevelop the East Bank, and they can also build sidewalks, and they can also yep. do all this. I mean, this is competent management, and if you know, if they can't do that, then that's a that's an interesting political question that the voters will definitely have a right to weigh in on. OK, uh, you want to get into some TV ratings here? Uh, great Let's... conversation with Nate. Really appreciate it. I, I am fascinated by the nexus of sports and and uh, metropolitan politics. So I'm, I'm all in on this story. <laughs> I, yeah, I no, this is this is going to be one of my favorite stories. I know. I love it, too. It's uh, and, and, it, and it affects my pocketbook and your pocketbook as David's County taxpayers. So uh, all right. Daytona 500, number one. Daytona 500. Rubbin is racing, Steve. Rubbin is racing. <laughs> it's weird when you say it like that. 7.5. <laughs> I mean, we could just quote all of Days of Thunder. Let's go. Come on. I, I, yeah, I, I actually watched like the last half of it last night. It, I don't know. I, don't I know want why. you to hit the pace car. I don't know why. Um, Daytona 500, 7.5. Winter Olympics, Winter Olympics, Winter Olympics, Winter Olympics. 4.8, 4.7, 4.3, 4.2. And here's where I'm pissed off at you, Nashville. Okay? Like, Winter Olympics, by the way, yikes. Just not even half, just well, halfway, this is, halfway as this good is, as last time. So I mean, this is the national story, too, and NBC took a bath on these Olympics. Yeah, yeah it's bad. Uh, here's what I'm pissed off about Nashville, though. Kentucky, Tennessee. Tennessee ranked Kentucky top five in Thompson Bowling on a Saturday Fantastic basketball game, four point one. I'm just, I'm just a little upset by that. These are two of the best basketball teams in the SEC in Nashville, and what forty five thousand people watched. What is that people, about? People are like, call us in a month. Twice as in many people watched Daytona five hundred as Kentucky Tennessee. Come on with that. I, I mean, I think, I think. Oh man. The thing about the NASCAR audience is maybe it was overestimated for a long time, but you can underestimate that audience as well. And I mean, Daytona's Daytona's the Super Bowl, and it's the first event of the year. Uh, of the top 100 most watched TV shows in 2021, zero NBA games, zero NHL games, zero MLB games, two college basketball games. So not that's a national number, not a Nashville number, but a national number, and so seven college football games, two college basketball games, 75 NFL games, but there are more college basketball games in the top 100 than any other professional sport outside of the NFL. So I'm just a little, I just thought more people should have watched that game, Steve. That's all I'm saying. I'm, I feel better now. Thank you. For I'm glad you got that off your chest. 4.1. Come on, man. It was a great game anyway. All right. 
Recommendations. What do you got for the good people? So uh, we're recording this on a Thursday. There were bombs dropping in the Ukraine as of 11 o'clock last night. One of the things that people, you want accurate information in situations like these. So I've, if you're on Twitter, I've got a list for you. Uh, go subscribe to this list. Anthony DeRosa, who is the U.S. news editor for, for the Wall Street Journal, has compiled a, a list that you can follow. It's, he calls it For Paul, F-O-R-P-O-L, dash Ukraine. And it is, it, is, it is a compilation of Twitter accounts that are, most of them are verified. Most of, uh, most of them are on the ground reporting. Like if you want someplace to go to find out exactly what's happening now, you can pop into this list and see kind of what the latest information is from from a wide range of journalists. This isn't just a Wall Street journalist, uh, a wide range of journalists who are on the ground. And in situations like Ukraine, where it is fast moving and there is a, there's there's a lot of news that's happening in a lot of different places, not just on the ground in the Ukraine. I mean, there's a lot of diplomatic news. There's stuff happening in Europe. There's stuff happening here in the U.S. It can be a lot to kind of get around. And if you want really accurate information, this is a great place to start. I I, I was, somebody, somebody tweeted this out last night. And it's a combination of things of, you know, really reputable people tweeting out, you know, images and video and stories and, firsthand reports it's it, it's it's really it's the best use of twitter um that, that you'll find is is in is in places like this and this is a this is a really good list well and i'm gonna i'm gonna do like an anti-recommendation with a recommendation and the anti-recommendation and this goes along with our conversation about the exit from afghanistan but that is if you would like to understand a really complex really nuanced 15, 20, 30 year type of story, you probably don't need to watch cable news. Okay. Like 100% correct. Just cable news is not going to be able to give you the information you need to make an accurate, develop your own accurate opinion about what's happening. I will say one thing. So, cable, and you're exactly right because cable news has shifted in, particularly in the primetime hours, to being opinion. And that's one of the biggest problems with it is that it's just not news anymore. Right. And, and shows during the day you it's it's regurgitated topics with panels of people and it's yes. just not it's not it's I not don't need news. five head I don't need five heads on my screen Steve I don't I don't need in it. a in a breaking news situation it is instructive to look at who has expended the resources to have boots on the ground covering it covering something where it happens and you can say whatever you want to about CNN but CNN has a ton of people in the Ukraine in Russia in Eastern Europe and uh, reporting, uh, you know, reporting as it was happening. It was interesting uh, flipping around the other, flipping around last night. We're over on Fox. You have a Laura Ingram repeat where she's regurgitating, you know, lies from, from our former president. Uh, and on, <laughs> with, on MSN with comments to a Nashvilleian, by the way. Yeah. With, and on MSNBC, where you had oh where you had talking heads uh, about this thing, and on CNN, and I'm not a CNN show, uh, but on CNN you had <laughs> you had reporters on the ground telling you exactly what they saw and what exactly they were hearing from yeah. from people that were being affected by the situation. And again, even in that moment, that's good to get that little snippet or that tidbit or that piece of info. That that's still not the place to spend time soaking in all of the details to truly understand every aspect of what's going on. Because again, you sort of have to understand like the fall of the Soviet Union to, to understand where Vladimir Putin's motivations are coming from on some of this. And so again, if my other, my actual recommendation is if you do want opinion, not the cable news talking head four box variety, but if you want actual opinion on this, I've recommended this podcast before, but I believe podcasts and long form journalism are the place to get your information when it comes to understanding these super complex things. Pod Save the World is still going to be one of the best places you can go learn about all the different actors, all the different people, all the different reasons this is happening, the geopolitical stuff, the financial stuff, the impact at home, sanctions versus not sanctions. 
you know, all the motivations for Putin, like all the tough stuff that you can't just get on a cable news hit or even on a tweet. You can get the good information on a tweet. But if you want to understand it, I, I, I can't recommend Pod Save the World enough. It is two, two guys that were in the White House dealing with foreign policy their entire careers. And, um, you know, Ben Rhodes, Tommy Vitor, they do a great job. So um, it can be partisan when they want to be partisan. But when it comes to this kind of stuff, they kind of just tell you how it is and they give you their yeah. opinions. So the, the, the thing the thing that I like about that podcast is not necessarily the partisan stuff, but the process stuff. I mean, these are guys that were in the national security apparatus and can explain to you exactly how decisions are being made. Yes. I, I think that's, I think that's incredibly valuable. Stuff like that is incredibly valuable to hear, you know, whether or not you, you agree with their takes on X, Y, or Z, you know, their stance on China or whatever. I mean, I don't care about that. It's yeah. from two guys that have seen it uh, kind of up close and they know, yeah. okay, when the secretary of state is canceling this meeting, what does that mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Again, get your get your news from those good quality, high quality boots on the ground sources and then get your opinions from people that know what they're talking about and are thoughtful and have and you have time to spend with it because it's not something you can just get in a nine second radio hit or a nine second cable news hit. So that just about does it. Super, super light episode today. Um, We talked about (laughs) Nashville's inability to collect garbage, spending two billion dollars and a large scale invasion we haven't seen in Europe since World War Two. So great. Tremendous. Braden, where can people find you on the socials? Uh, drowning my pain and sorrows at Jasper's. Um, and I'll just tweet some photos of tears. Um, no, go to Jasper's. Great place to hang out and watch the Preds game. Great drink specials. Evolution of the sports bar, the menu. You know the whole deal. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. Where can they people find you, Steve? They can follow me on Twitter or Instagram, if you're really inclined, uh, at Scavenge. If you uh, if you like the show, as always, rate, review, subscribe. That's it. Go ahead and close it out. Just just rate, review, subscribe. That's all we need. Uh, Check out the YouTube page as well. Follow all the socials for the company at 440 Sports as well. For Steve Cavendish, for Nate Rao, my name is Braden Gall. Mercifully, Lamestream Sports is over. This has been 440 Sports.